podcast, part of the Blue Wire Hustle podcast ne- network. Make sure to check out all of the other podcasts in Blue Wire Hustle, and also make sure to check us out on Instagram and Twitter at Did You Hear Pod. I'm Emma Houghton. He's Pat Zhang, and Pat, we are five days away from the Super Bowl. I am so excited for this game on Sunday. I mean, looking at it, this has to be the most highly anticipated Super Bowl. I don't even know since when, but this is just, as we talked about a week ago, this is the dream matchup for the NFL. I think this is the dream matchup for for the NFL fan that uh, doesn't have a team that lost in the postseason. Um, This is is phenomenal. It should be great theater on Sunday and uh, cannot wait to finally watch that game. Theater, I like that. It's going to be theater out there. That's how good it's going to be. We said it's like, drama. People should be thanking their lucky stars that this is the matchup we had. We've it's we've perfect. mentioned in the past that any combination of Bucks, Packers, Bills, Chiefs would have been a good game. I still think that. I do too. But Brady Mahomes is a different level. It's <laughs> it's the greatest quarterback of all time against the guy, the only guy with a chance to catch him. Yeah. Uh, that's how it is, and it is. It leads into just a fantastic matchup. There are so many intriguing parts to this game, which we'll get into in a little bit, and uh, it should be just a, a phenomenal game to watch on come Sunday night. Yeah, goat and baby goat, right? That's exactly. It's what got it, is. it all. All right. So before we get into it, we also wanted to share some exciting news that we are debuting a new segment at the end of this episode. So stay tuned for that. Some pop culture we're getting uh, into here, but. I have Pat Keys of the game, some look back to week 12 when the Chiefs Bucks met in the regular season. We have game predictions. We have our craziest numbers of the week. Start us off with one of the big things you're looking for in this game on Sunday. Yeah, so what's so interesting about this game and this matchup is that if you run through the stats and through the team stats and a bunch of advanced numbers, these teams are neck and neck in so many different categories, which just shows you how how much of an even matchup I, I think we see come Sunday night. I mean, points per play, you've got Tampa at two, Kansas City's at five, points allowed per game, they're nine and ten. Uh, passing yards per attempt to really show how they stretch the ball down the field. Kansas City's at two, Tampa's at eight, and I can go on and on and on. These teams are really around each other in a bunch of different stats, but a place where I think things can get really interesting, where there's a massive drop-off, that would be in the red zone. Now, the Kansas City Chiefs defense ranks 32nd, that is dead last, in the entire NFL in red zone percentage, they allow touchdowns on 77, yes, you heard that right, 77% of drives into the red zone. We know how much of a surgeon Tom Brady can be, especially in the red zone. If Tampa is able to go on these extended drives and get inside the inside the red zone, they're most likely going to score with how Kansas City's defense plays, and I think that could play a really massive role come Sunday. Yeah, and guess who one of the biggest red zone options the Bucks have? Rob Gronkowski. Rob Gronkowski, Mike Evans, they've yeah. got some big targets out there. Yeah, I, I mean, there are literally so many ways to go off what you just said. I'll go zeroing in on some of the players who make both of these offenses so lethal because mm. the Chiefs aren't too bad in the red zone themselves. <laughs> I would say so. Uh, the biggest difference there is that the Chiefs usually don't have to make it into the red zone because they're making these big plays down the field beforehand. But, I mean, the duo we've seen of Hill and Kelsey this year has truly been unlike anything we've ever seen 
they're they finished second and eighth in the league overall in reception yards this season. Kelsey set the single season reckon record for reception yards for a tight end, and it's the dynamic that they bring to this offense. I truly think that it's going to be on the Bucks defense to try and slow down Mahomes, and we can get mm. into those specific keys as the show goes on, but it almost doesn't even matter because Mahomes doesn't have to scramble in the pocket too long because he can dish it out to either the best tight end in the league who is also over 200 pounds and can just bowl over your linebackers or the fastest wide receiver Hmm. in the league who could run for 77 yards like he did in the first quarter of the Chiefs-Bucks game just a few weeks ago. So the Chiefs offense scares me. And on the other side of the ball, you obviously have just as much offensive firepower. Mike Evans, those 1,000-yard season in every single year that he's played, Chris Godwin has really gotten into a groove in the postseason, which is where the Bucks have needed him the most. And I've said it every single week, and I'll continue if Ronald Jones and Leonard, Fren- Leonard Fournette can make any sort of ground against the Chiefs' defense. The Bucks look really well balanced there too. Yeah, and I think you gave up a, a, a great point there on, on the run game. I think the running game is going to be crucial for Tampa Bay if they are going to come away with a win uh, this weekend. They're 10th right now in the league in rush efficiency. Kansas City's 31st uh, for in against the run on defense. So it, it is a weakness of, of the Chiefs if you're going to see Tampa really run the ball, try and control the clock. I mean, it's not rocket science to think of this, but if Tampa limits the amount of possessions that Mahomes has, obviously their most dangerous weapon, that's going to be Tampa's best way to win. Exactly. And that's nothing against the Tampa Bay offense. That is just showing how great of an offense no. Kansas and City is. You have the the sergeant and Tom Brady who knows exactly how this works. Yep. Exactly. If I... We'll get into our predictions later, but it is hard if this game is tied with the final possession of the game in Tom Brady's hands, which I don't think is ridiculously unlikely. Mm -hmm. It would be hard to bet against Tom Brady putting together a game-winning drive. Are you saying Brady's been here before? Yeah. This isn't his first Super Bowl? Mind-blowing to think (laughs) it's not his first. But you have to put a lot of faith in what Tom Brady can do in in the Super Bowl on its own and also just the playoffs in general. Yeah, I mean, I I think you saw it in what was a – he's had two very difficult opponents, you know, the last couple weeks. uh, Sorry to the Washington football team. But with going to New Orleans and and taking them on and playing well on offense, then, of course, going to Green Bay and coming away with a victory against a very tough Packers team. I mean, Brady's playing well. He had had the two interceptions against Green Bay, which wasn't great. Uh, We know what his weakness is. It's something that you have brought up multiple times, and that is under pressure for him and a stat to go with that is Brady is six for 21 this postseason on throw attempts when he is pressured so that that is going to be so important no no not at all it's going to be important for Kansas City to try to get it the thing is they don't have a stud pass rusher Tano Passanio from Villanova um, as well as Chris Jones is going to be the one that really creates the pressure up the middle Uh, But what I think this is going to come down to is Steve Spagnuolo, the defensive coordinator for the Kansas City Chiefs, was also the Mm. defensive coordinator for the New York Giants when they defeated Tom Brady in the Super Bowl. He's (laughs) going to have to bring he's going to have to bring some exotic looks and some pressure 
yeah. on Brady, most likely from the linebackers, from the secondary, because the Chiefs don't really have that natural pass rushing talent like the Bucks do in Shaq Barrett and, and Jason Pierre-Paul. Mm-hmm. So I think Spagnolo has a huge role to play in this game. Yeah, I think Chris Jones is their stud. Yes, But beyond sure. him, there, there's a serious drop-off there. The other thing is, when you talk about the importance of the Bucks run game and how it diversifies this offense, if you have to take into account Fournette or Ronald Jones, that's one less eye you have on Mike Evans or Chris Godwin or freaking Scotty Miller who could <laughs> run down the field and score a touchdown. The options just continue to go on and on and on. And I think you're, you're right. I knew you were going to bring up that point about Spagnola with the Giants, too. You had to. to. You yeah, had couldn't, to. Couldn't, couldn't pass that up. But but the the Bucks have been able to capitalize on other teams' mistakes. That's and, and, and on the flip side, if the Chiefs can make Brady make mistakes, then things start to get interesting. Brady's stats haven't been incredible this postseason. He has a lot of interceptions. He had a lot of interceptions in the regular season, too. He did. Honestly, putting pressure on Brady is like the the shining example of what you have to do. That's obviously what you have to do. But if they can just pressure him to make some of those bad throws, maybe they switch up some of their coverages. I think there could be other things that the Chiefs' defense can do in the secondary. Somebody like Tyron Matthew that is less obvious than just putting pressure on Brady. No, I think so too. And as I bring up the fact that I think Tampa could really do themselves a solid by running the ball and trying to control the clock, it also has to be said that Bruce Arians is their coach. And while I think that that is a you know a decent strategy for them, I will be shocked if they don't throw the ball a ton. I just I cannot as much as like the numbers say that what Tampa Bay should be doing is going into this game and looking to run the ball, control clock. I don't see Bruce Arians putting a title game in the hands of Ronald Jones and Leonard Fournette. You're 100% right. He is going to have Tom Brady chuck the football around come Sunday. And you know what? I think that leads to more entertainment for us. Um, (laughs) And I also can't really fault him. I mean, Brady, as you said, it, it, it hasn't been spectacular in the postseason, but... As we've talked about before, he has had a very strong season. I mean, 40 touchdown passes yeah. this year on the year in the, in the regular season. He's done everything he's needed to do in the postseason to be able to get them where they are. We know that he's been able to throw the ball down the field um, in kind of a revitalization of his career, which we didn't see in New England those past couple of years. We've seen it in Tampa Bay this year. I think he has a ton of throwing attempts uh, in this game. He absolutely has to. It's going to be a, a Ben Roethlisberger stat line. Could that be. game against the Browns when he had like 68, something crazy <laughs> like that. No, it's not going to be that much. But So here's the thing, and the coaching is actually what I was most excited to talk about. We thought the LaFleur-Arians coaching matchup was interesting. This one is 10 times better. For sure. First, though, talking about playing it safe if Arians relies on the run with these weak little three- or four-yard gains on first down, that's not going to cut it. We saw the Bills play it safe without a rush game. They played it safe by kicking field goals. Field goals aren't going to beat the Chiefs. Three-yard runs aren't going to beat the Chiefs. What I'm saying about that, the rush, though, if they rush the ball enough where they can keep Brady clean in the pocket, they wear that Chiefs D down, and they keep them on their toes so that they the Bucks can execute a key deep ball to Godwins or Evans or Brown down the stretch. So it's just going to be the... Arians needs to execute a perfect mm-hmm. game plan 
so that they can... The other thing is rush is going to be necessary to prolong these drives yep. because you just said it Mahomes and and Kelsey and Hill need to be off the field and putting in a few runs in these long like six seven minute drives that could be the key here oh that that would be really important and I know we're, we're talking about offenses I do just want to spotlight the Tampa Bay defense quickly as well what, what's really interesting to actually look at if you look at the year over year for the Bucks is that in 2019, they ranked third in the league in points four on offense. In 2020, they ranked third in the league in points four on offense. So we think about how much Brady's brought to the team. Obviously, he is a much, much better quarterback than Jameis Winston. He's not going to turn the ball over like him, and you know you trust him in those late game situations. But the massive thing for the Buccaneers here is that a year ago in points allowed, they were 29th, and they have gotten that all the way up to eighth this year. That's huge. And that has been the biggest turnaround for Tampa Bay. They were scoring points last year. The thing has been turnovers, which they've eliminated, as well as defense. And a big part of that defense is that there are multiple playmakers on the Tampa Bay defense, which get you excited and have a chance to be able to change a game, whether it be the aforementioned Shaq Barrett or Jason Pierre-Paul, whether that be Devin White, one of the better, quicker linebackers in all of football that is going to have such a monumental role to play with thinking about Clyde Edwards-Alaire uh, trying mm-hmm. to leak out of the backfield, thinking about possible matchups against Travis Kelsey, uh, you know, also Antoine Winfield Jr., an electric rookie safety for them that is has got a nose for the ball for sure, just like his dad did. So he didn't even th- play last week, ex- too. Exactly. He was out with an injury. He is not—I don't believe they have an official status. No, they haven't come yet. out with, yeah. with his status. I think so, it's leaning more positive, though. I think so, too, from from what I've read, but nothing official yet. So there are there are playmakers on this Buccaneers defense. There are more playmakers on the Bucks defense than the Chiefs defense. The Chiefs defense mostly centered around Chris Jones and Tyron Matthew. I think if Tampa wins this game, they're going to need some sort of massive momentum to shifting play on defense, whether it be, you know, a, a pick six or some huge fumble return. And, and they have some guys that can make it happen. Yeah. Uh, the thing is, Kansas City does not turn the ball over. Ah, I have not gotten to my Patrick Mahomes stuff. Yes, you are 100% <laughs> correct. <laughs> yeah, no, but the Bucks D is really fun to talk about, and they have some of these young guys, too, that you can build a franchise around in Winfield, in Murphy Bunting, in Devin White. Mm-hmm. Like, Levante David is one of the most underrated players in the NFL. Been around he, forever, been he, good forever. He is in Ray Lewis-type company in terms of the most important defensive numbers. So the 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 question I want to center around with the Bucks and their defense their identity has been the blitz. Patrick mm-hmm. Mahomes is one of the best quarterbacks against the blitz in his career. So to put some numbers to it, and this could lead into our Mahomes discussion too, Mahomes led the league in QBR when he was blitzed this season, 96.8, which is much better than a lot of other players' QBR on its own. He was blitzed just 21% of the time during the regular season, which is incredibly low. The Bucks rely on bringing those extra rushers like Shaq Barrett, 38% of dropbacks. That's the fifth most in the league. So I'm curious to see if Spagnola either puts his foot down and says, this is our game plan. We're not going to stray from it. We're going to put pressure on Mahomes and hope that our, uh, or yeah, no, sorry. This is Todd Bowles. Yep. the Bucks defensive coordinator. But he says we're sticking to it and we're hoping that our secondary can keep up with some of these uh, Chiefs offensive skills players or they 
rely less on their blitz. They stay back. They play in this protective D, and mm-hmm. they prevent Tyreek Hill from going off on these huge plays. So I'm curious what that is going to look like because if it's me, I'm not blitzing Mahomes because if that's going to make him even better than he already is, that scares me a little bit. Oh, that is so interesting. So we disagree there, and I'll show you a a point to back it up, but I think they're going to stay true to it and blitz him just because while, yes, it definitely scares you that blitzing Patrick Mahomes can can lead to some some openings down the field, letting him sit back and pick them apart and say his own defense, they're going to get at Mahomes doesn't make the wrong read, as we were talking about. He's seemingly almost always finds the correct guy. And a point that I think why they'll stick with this as well is that Tampa Bay is one of the better teams in the league this year at limiting plays of 20 yards or more. Mm. They they only allowed 50 of those this year. Just for reference, Kansas City has allowed 62. So while Kansas City is incredibly explosive and is going to try and stretch the field on them with Tyreek Hill, with McCole Hardman, all these different weapons that they have out there, Tampa's usually pretty good at containing them, and I I think they're still going to bring pressure, try to force some sort of mistake from Mahomes, make him think quicker. Yes, as you said, he is really strong against the blitz. Listen, he's the best quarterback in the league right now. It's not even close. No. So it's tough either way you do it, but I would be horrified as a defense to just (laughs) sit back and, and try to play it safe against Mahomes because if you give him time, there's so much improv uh, improvising that goes on in that chief's offense as well with the rapport that he has with his receivers that they'll just break off the play and find something else. So I, yeah. I think they need to bring pressure and need to try and hit Mahomes to be able to, uh, to try to limit that chief's offense. So to give the Bucks D some credit in their week 12 loss, once they got over their horrendous first quarter where mm-hmm. Tyreek Hill had 269 yes. yards, most of those in the first quarter, 200 yards in the first quarter. He only had 66 in the rest of the game, and Travis Kelsey only had five yards in the second half. So the Tampa Bay defense was able to get itself together. They switched some of their packages, and they focused on forcing Patrick Mahomes to improvise instead of throwing the ball down the field. My question to you is would you rather those improvisation (laughs) plays because – Andy Reid is the most creative coach out there. He's yes, the best he coach in the league right now, far and away to me. So he, Patrick Mahomes could just as easily do a frontward toss to Kelsey into the red zone. How many times have we seen that this year? You know it's coming once they get inside the five. He's going to do the shovel yeah, pass to Kelsey. Like, <laughs> that Those type of plays are just as lethal to me as the long, deep passes to Hill. And I wanted to mention this too. I don't think you can fault. Leslie Frazier and the Bills defense for the way they played against Patrick Mahomes two weeks ago. I think schematically Frazier called a good defensive game. They got pressure on Mahomes and without a doubt, Patrick Mahomes was able to skirt that pressure and dump it off to Kelsey or Hill. And that's why I just think Kansas City is so just, you can't deny them. You can't deny them on defense because there is always somebody waiting in the wings. And even if it's not Hill or Kelsey, it's Hardman. Or it's maybe Edwards Sammy Allaire. Yeah, it's, maybe Sammy yeah. Watkins is back this week too. Another receiver option for them. Yeah, it's listen, it's pick your poison going up here against this Chiefs offense. They are some of the best to ever do it. And for me, I'd rather bring the pressure and try and force the mistake. It's risky. It gives a chance to open things up down the field. 
I totally understand that, but I think that these are the kind of decisions that have to be made if you're going to take down an all-time great quarterback. You got to take the risk. I think you got to do it. Yeah, I got to say one more thing about this too, in in terms of the pass rush for Bucks, the Chiefs' offensive line is banged up, Mm -hmm. and they've been shaky all season long, but now they lost their tackle, Eric Fisher. The Fisher injury hurts so badly. from the AFC Championship game. So if the Bucks again, can just wear down this Chiefs O-line, then you would think Patrick Mahomes isn't as invincible without the protection of, of those big guys. That, yeah. that could be a big thing to watch in this game. No, it definitely will be. We'll, we'll have to see how, how they do it. But you did mention that guy, Patrick Mahomes. He's uh, he's all right. So I guess he's I did right. have a, a couple things I wanted to, to say with him. I mean, the first thing as, a, as I talk about this, this being an all-time great you know, offense and team, they really are when you think about it. Go Their last 27 games, they've won 25 of them. And the last 26 games they've actually tried to win, I take away that Week 17 finale, they've won 26 of them. Mm. In, in those 26 wins, 18 of them have been by a touchdown or more. Let's say you have a lead on Patrick Mahomes. You think you're safe. In the last two years, he is 8-1 and one when trailing by double digits you are that loss do you know it off the top of your head uh the Raiders game this year oh my god I was gonna say because it's been the big games that he hasn't lost the Texans the Titans down the stretch yeah Yeah. including last year's playoffs as well to get to those 27 um but yes they have the losses were to the Raiders earlier this season and then the Chargers lost in week 17 when they didn't play anyone um but and then as i said he's 8 and 1 when trailing by double digits over the last 2 years you are never safe against Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid this is an all-time team this is an all-time offense and <laughs> we're talking about ways that that Tampa Bay can try and turn the tide and that they can try and make a play and that they can try and limit this offense that's what it comes down to cuz as great as i think Tampa Bay has been as good as Tom Brady has been as much as his experience comes into effect as clutch as Tom Brady is which is something that is obviously so hard to quantify you're going up against Patrick Mahomes you're going up against Andy Reid you're going up against a ridiculous just accumulation of talent on offense and it's it really is just a game of of how much can you limit them that's exactly how I feel, and I think that pretty much gives our predictions without having to say them. I, I mean, the the Chiefs are forty four and eleven over the past three seasons. That's Mahomes' tenure. I also wanted to talk about this narrative that I've been seeing lately that the Chiefs didn't seem as focused down the stretch of the regular season because they weren't blowing out opponents like we've seen them do in the past. So. Over the past, over the last six games, the Chiefs averaged 25 points per game, <laughs> mm. which for most teams is pretty good. Yep. For the Chiefs, that is literally seen as a regression from what they've been. The Bucks, on the other hand, have scored 30 plus points in their last six games. They've averaged almost 36 points per game. So there's an obvious difference there. Mm-hmm. But Pat, you and I are literally saying. If the Buccaneers don't score on every single possession, and I mean score a touchdown, then they don't stand a chance. Punting's not just... an option for the Bucs. They, no. they, they, I would say at most they can punt the ball twice on Sunday and win. We think about that. You have, there are basic, I'm going to give them two drives 
where they cannot they either kick score. a field goal yeah. or score a touchdown. Although, if you're punting more than that, you are in huge trouble against Kansas City. That's exactly what I mean. And and you're also, with that being said, if you're punting, that that means your defense has to be forcing the Chiefs to punt at least mm-hmm. once too, yeah. which almost never happens. So the Chiefs' offense has been so good. I don't want to hear anymore that they've been getting off to slow... They have been getting off to slow starts, but I don't want that to be seen as a loss of focus or them not playing games that really matter because a win is a win is a win is a win. I don't care if you're beating the Jets by eight points. When the Chiefs are going in and playing games that matter, they absolutely dismantled Buffalo, who a lot of people thought could have beat the Chiefs to get into the Super Bowl. They have the most explosive offense, and the only chance I see the Buccaneers having is if they score on every single possession, force a turnover, are able to convert on that turnover, and if the game is tied or they have a slight lead, they rely on the greatest quarterback of all time, Tom Brady, to either, again, have that game-winning drive or they can rely on him to not turn the ball over in that last drive so that they can seal it. Yeah, I think aggression is going to be a really important part of this where Arians just, he has to, you know, you have to be uber aggressive in this game. If it's, you know, third and four, I, I understand the the want to sometimes run the ball. You got to throw it. If it's fourth down around the 50, you're going to have to go for it. Yeah. I mean, the thing like people, what, what, what people love to tout about punts is that, oh, well, you can pin, you know, the Chiefs deep, make them go up the field. It doesn't matter where you put them. Put them at the two yard line. They yeah. don't care. They're coming for, for points and they're, they're going to find a way to get there so it, it punting really doesn't do you much like yes i understand if you're at your own 20 you're gonna have to punt the ball but if you're moving towards midfield they're gonna have to go for it and it, as, as we're saying it tampa bay is going to have to rip this game from kansas city if they want to end up with a lombardi trophy that's just and that is not an indictment of the buccaneers no. that is just how how great this kansas city team is and as you were saying i i think this leads perfectly into what you're talking about with that chiefs offense you know saying oh is it really in stride right now you know talking about how many points tampa's scoring right now the last the afc championship game against buffalo as according to offensive efficiency was the most efficient game the Chiefs offense has played in the Patrick Mahomes era. Wow. That is exceptional. Wow. They they trust me, they're ready for this game. Yeah. They're firing all cylinders and they're coming to Tampa Bay. And I have I have not trusted in Tampa Bay this entire season. Legitimately the entire season. I thought they had the biggest chance to for Washington to upset them. So, like, I, I really have been counting them out. They have gained an incredible amount of momentum. And the fact that I'm even saying that this game could be close is is the respect that I'm putting on Tampa Bay. Because I don't think the Chiefs-Packers game would have been anywhere near as close because I don't think the Packers' D is compares to Tampa Bay's D at all. Mm-hmm. I just think... I had to. I wrote this down because I think it's such an important point and I wanted to say it correctly. Reed is a more creative coach than Arians. And your point yep. about Arians is true. He must be so hyped up for this game because there is nothing that Arians loves more than risk. Oh, if he yeah. could just have Tom Brady throw it down the field 50 yards, a pass attempt, he would love that. He would absolutely love that. He loves to risk it. But I have more faith in Andy Reed to break down the really good Bucks defense than I have in Bruce Arians 
to break down this really, really good Chiefs offense. And I think that's a really good way to put it, is that it's, and that's kind of the battle that it is at, at this point. It's it's being able to slow down the, that Chiefs offense, as we said. Um, I'm not sure Kansas City is going to make any mistakes. Uh, as we've talked about, Tampa Bay does have the ability to try and force one, but I mean, as you said, with how Andy Reid schemes things, another you know cool thing to look at for both these teams to, to talk about just the offensive pedigree of both of them is that they're also first and second in the NFL in motion percentage for how much guys are put in motion before the snap, which is really helpful for quarterbacks to be able to try to diagnose coverages. You know, the, these two are one and two in it. So the, these are top tier offenses. They're top tier quarterbacks making reads. They're top tier, you know, offensive minds scheming all of these plays for it. But when it comes down to it, as you said, for for both of our predictions, I just there's so much to overcome with Kansas City. I don't know how you slow that monster down. Yeah, I I truly think that the Bucks have momentum working on their side. They haven't lost since they lost to the Chiefs in Week 12. I just think the I I I really and truly thought about this for so long, mm-hmm. and there was a time where I was on Tampa's side. I just kept thinking, you know what? If it comes down to it, I want the ball in Brady's hands to win this game, but I think the Chiefs are going to come exploding out of the gate. And and if you're clawing back and waiting for the Chiefs to make a mistake, that's not a good position to be in. That is not where you want to be. No, it's not. And and to be clear, I don't think Tampa Bay gets blown out in this No, game I don't either. What, I think it's whatsoever. really close. I do. Yes, I, I, I do too. I just think Kansas City, it's tough to keep up with them. Um, yeah. So it, it'll be interesting to watch. But Just, are, just curious, mm-hmm. on both sides, who do you think is going to be the most, who's going to pick, put up the biggest numbers, wide receivers for Chiefs and Bucks? Interesting. Uh, I will say for Tampa, I think it's Chris Godwin. I love Chris Godwin. I think he goes under the radar way too much because Mike Evans gets a ton of the credit, as he deserves. Mm-hmm. I mean, Evans is fantastic, but... Godwin's route running especially is just on another level than than most receivers in the league. I think he's got a really strong connection with Brady. So I would look at him in Kansas City. I mean, I just cannot bet against Tyreek Hill. It's, yeah. it's just they find ways to get him involved, but not only to get him involved, but to put him in a position to create a ton of damage. And again, that is all to Andy Reid and how he's able to uh, scheme his offenses. That's all to Eric Bieniemy and, and how he's able to contribute to to the scheming as well. And you just feel like Tyreek Hill is going to break. It might Listen, it might not be an 80-yard touchdown, but you, you're going to imagine he pulls off a 40, 50-yard catch and run somehow to be able to move that Chiefs offense. Yeah. He had 172 yards against the Bills. Mm-hmm. The numbers he puts up, I don't think he has as big of a game. I think that's the obvious thing that the Bucks could take away from that loss. And <laughs> Oh my God, do not let Hill go off like that. I think he... The funny thing too is that McCole Hardman had an amazing game against the Bills too. Yeah. They were able to get him involved on offense. That's a huge weapon for them. I think the Bucks do a pretty good job limiting Kelsey. And on the flip side... I think Gronk goes off. That would be interesting. I I could really see that coming. I think Godwin did very well against that Packers D. I I think Evans, Godwin, and Gronk actually have pretty good games for the Bucs, and I still don't think it's enough. Oh, that's the thing. I think the Bucs are going to put points up. As we're saying that, I don't think they're going to get blown out. I I definitely think we're going to see some points in this game. Uh, I I like Tampa's offense a lot. I'm interested to see how much they stick to the run game as we talked about before, because I do think they're going to air it out, even though the Chiefs have their deficiencies on the ground. Uh, But, 
you know, I, I, I do think we're going to see a lot of movement through the air. I'm so excited to see the type of play calls that these two guys come up with. I think we're going to be seeing plays that we've never seen before. I think we're going to see both coaches taking absolutely insane risks. And we've said it about a lot of games this this postseason, but I really think that this will be the best game to watch. I really, really hope so. I cannot tell you how heartbroken I will be if this turns into Patriots-Rams volume yeah. two. I it just, can't. I can't, it I can't, can't see it. Uh, no, no. I, but I think Brady the game and Mahomes I'm thinking is different about, than Brady and Goff. <laughs> yeah, the game I'm thinking about that I was disappointed was Allen Jackson. Yes. That was tough because those offenses Baltimore were so never got good. going and yeah. not that not that Buffalo got, got a lot going on offense either. But yes, I, I, I do agree. But this uh, is do, times two. To, yes, times two. I think weather conditions had a, had a little bit of a thing to play there as well, and they'll they'll be in Tampa for this, so it should be you know nice and easy to be able to move the ball on offense. Yeah. But uh, I totally agree, and just hoping this game lives up to expectations. Me too, and I think it will. All right, so we both we both have the Chiefs. We we both have the Chiefs. So I I think the Chiefs win by a touchdown. Okay, I'll go. I'll say I'll say three points. Three. Yeah, I don't think it's more than a touchdown. No, no more than a touchdown. Yeah, and I, I think s- it's like forty-three, forty, or uh, maybe I'll say five, be, forty-five, forty. That that would be incredible. Yeah, uh, I, I'm gonna go thirty-one, twenty-three. Okay, that's still pretty good. That yeah. is still pretty good. We would be happy with that. Yeah, no. So it, it should be a great game. Really looking forward to talking about it next week. Um, but uh, a lot of fun to preview as well with just two all-time greats at quarterback, and I feel perfectly comfortable saying that even though Patrick Mahomes has barely been in this league uh two you know two great coaches some playmakers around the ball it is as we said it is just the perfect Super Bowl matchup and uh, cannot wait to watch yeah on paper yes Patrick Mahomes has already mirrored Aaron Rodgers career in terms of (laughs) Super Bowls and or, or Tom Brady actually has now the same amount of NFC championship home games you're well, gonna make you're gonna make a lot of people upset. I know. Wait, but that wasn't true. No, Aaron <laughs> Rodgers had his first. One, was it won his first NFC? Help me out here. What am uh, I trying to say? It's uh, Super Bowl appearances. Super Bowl appearances in the NFC. That's that's what I'm saying. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Yeah, it, it really is. So it'll be fun, and no matter what, I think both of these guys are classy enough. Did you see that that article that came out about Brady? congratulating Mahomes after the Pats beat the Chiefs in 2018. So I think they both have a lot of respect for each other. They both know how good the other one is, and that's what you like to see. And same thing with Arians and Reed. They've both been around forever uh, coaching in the league. So it's just there's so many levels where this is is just great, and it should be be a lot of fun. And I don't think this is the end of our football coverage. We have a lot of quarterback moves. We already had Goff and Mm -hmm. Stafford switch. I think we'll have Watson coming in the next few weeks, to be honest with you. Matt Ryan could be on the move. Yeah, we've got a lot going on. Yeah, there's a bunch that will be happening football-wise. So we will find ways to fit it in. uh, But we have really enjoyed talking about football through the first couple months of the show. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So make sure uh, you're hitting that subscribe button so you're getting all of our episodes on apple Podcasts. while you are there please 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 leave us a rating and review we really appreciate that but talk about a lot of the content we'll have soon we're moving to baseball for our numbers oh yes absolutely so i will start things off and my number is 50 million and that is the amount of money that the colorado rockies will be paying nolan arenado to not play for them 
over the next so upset over the next two years i i think that an aaron auto move was kind of on the cards and you could kind of on the card see what i did there um and, (laughs) and see that it was it was coming but the fact that a they did this as a salary dump but still ended up on the hook for $50 million and B with that $50 million thrown in there only landed one top 10 prospect in the Cardinal system. This is a complete failure from the Colorado Rockies. I, I don't know what they're, they signed this extension, you know, in, in 2019, two years ago, basically that they signed him to this eight year extension. They're then dealing him. I, from the Rockies perspective, I just don't get it. I, I don't I don't understand how if this is the move you're gonna make, if you're going to to look to trade this star player, how you can get so little back. I mean, this guy is the best third baseman in baseball. He has literally won a gold glove every single season he has been in Major League Baseball. Yeah. At five of the last six years, he's been in the top ten for MVP voting. Since 2015, the least amount of home runs he's hit in a full season is 37. My mind is blown by the return that the Rockies got for this. And for the St. Louis Cardinals, congratulations, you just won the NL Central by 10 games. It's not even going to be close, right? They were, exactly, they were already the best team in the Central. And now they add this, you know, absolute superstar third baseman to that lineup with Paul Goldschmidt. I, They've got this, like, hats off to the Cardinals for making this deal. And honestly, the biggest thing for them is that they just had to be able to absorb the contract. And yes, yeah. there's there's an opt-out uh, coming up. Arenado did say that he plans on opting in, but of course nothing is official until he absolutely opts in. I just, I'm so, like, I cannot imagine being a Colorado Rockies fan and seeing this deal come through and seeing what you got back for just the premier third baseman in the sport and understanding that there is a true plan for this franchise moving forward. So... I'm happy for Arenado because he deserves to be playing at a bigger market. He deserves for every single baseball fan to know his name and to appreciate how great he is. And I don't think everybody does. I I think you're right. (laughs) Which is surprising to me because defensively his highlights are everywhere. And for some reason, people don't appreciate his presence in the lineup, which always confuses me. But one thing, I actually, something really interesting just crossed my mind. But first, I'm kind of surprised that he went to a team like the Cardinals that aren't in a better place to contend than some other teams. Obviously, in the NL Central, that is a division that you can feast on. Mm-hmm. But the Cardinals' rotation doesn't look that great. The rest of the Cardinals' lineup doesn't look that great. Their defense is set. They have one of the yeah, best defenses really in the league, for sure. But I don't really have much to say other than I don't view the Cardinals as top 10 top 13 but maybe maybe top 10 teams in the league definitely closer to 15 than to 10 if you're gonna say top 15 but when you're talking about the return how similar is this weirdly to the golf traf- stafford trade that just went down it's interesting i i, I mean it <laughs> the the thing is though detroit got all those first round that's assets. exactly what i'm saying detroit yeah. did it right and they're absolving Goff's contract because they have all these other first rounders the Rockies don't take anything no it's so embarrassing for the Colorado Rockies right now I remember when Nolan signed that contract Mm -hmm. and weeks months after he's already talking about the dysfunction in the Colorado 
franchise. Yeah. I, I remember thinking that that was not a good match. He needed to get paid because that's where he was in his contract talks. But I remember thinking that he and Colorado were not a good match. He deserves to be playing on a team that contends every single season. And instead, they were top three worst last year. And they probably will be this year, especially without him. But I couldn't believe that they got more back for that. They didn't get more back from him. And it just stinks that this type of move has to leave such a sour taste in your mouth as a baseball fan, because I feel like that. And I can't even imagine what it's like for Rockies fans. Yeah, it, it's brutal. And to, this is the third one now that has really happened this offseason with, with the salary dump. You've got the Arenado, you've got the Darvish. Uh, I mean, I, I don't even know if Lindor should even really be put in that category because it's only one year. Uh, and The, the walk, get... yeah, the walk year makes it different too. E- exactly. So we'll, we'll say it's the second one for yeah. sure this year. But even that, I mean, Nolan Arenado is on a different world than, mm-hmm. than you Darvish is as he is the, in, in my my opinion, the, the best third baseman in the sport. Um, and, and like I said, it, it, the St. Louis Cardinals should not have a problem in, in the National League Central now. Yeah. I, I think they'll probably re-sign Colton Wong, to which will help that make, make that lineup look a little better. Pitching is absolutely where things are scary because I don't think they have a great rotation. I, I love Jack Flaherty. Beyond um, that, though, there's no exa- beyond him. Exactly, yeah. which which I think is kind of bizarre because the Cardinals are often known for starting. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to go into a full-on baseball preview right now. but <laughs> No, <laughs> but, the bottom line, though, is that the Cardinals have made the postseason, and now they just added... Yeah. Th- I, I have him behind Anthony Rendon, personally, but I think he's fair, given very an fair. argument for both. But the best defensive third baseman, I'm comfortable oh, for, giving for him sure. that. Yes. And then one of the best bats in the league. Yeah, it, listen, it, it's a huge move, and uh, so that I think the Cardinals should be applauded for it and, and being able to to accept taking on that sort of uh, financial commitment when so many teams are clearly looking to get rid of it. So yeah. that, that shows the, the Cardinals are looking to win and kind of take advantage of the surroundings in the division. Uh, and for the Rockies, I mean, as I said, the, the, the thing that just scares me is the, the sense of direction. I mean, how you go from signing him to that extension two years ago to then dealing him and throwing in a sweetener of fifty million without getting a, a real top like this isn't you know Wander Franco coming no. back from the Rays. This it's isn't really Mackenzie bad. Gore yeah. from the Padres. This is It's isn't... not even a Patino for Snell. No, it's not Kellenic from the Mariners. Yeah. E- e- exactly. They just they didn't get it. And and of course, you know, we you can always see in what these prospects turn into and rankings aren't definite, of course. But to not get a guy that you feel pretty certain about I just find this deal so strange for them. It makes me think that this sort of bad relationship, I guess is the only way to put it, is the yeah. same exact thing is going to happen with Trevor Story. That's which possible. Which I think is unfortunate. And he's a, he's a free agent. He's mm-hmm. not getting that contract extension. Uh, so it's just a, a bit different of a situation than Arenado. But the Rockies can't think that they have a chance to st- to sign Trevor Story. Why would Trevor Story want to play in Colorado at this point? Yeah, I have a feeling. I'm not sure they're going to trade him this offseason because just the PR optics of trading Aaron Otto and Story in the same offseason would be devastating. They'd be, but, they'd be pushing it down. They'd yeah, be, f- yeah. But fast forward, fast forward five, almost six months to that July 31st trade deadline, and I think there's a decent chance Trevor Story is not still a Colorado Rocky. Yeah, and he's one of the best shortstops in the game, too. And, so. and then he'll get paid this winter. It's just by mm-hmm. who. So, yeah. yeah. I, I'm glad you brought that up because I think that got overshadowed by a lot of football news. But it, it's a big deal. It's, it's a, a big deal, deal for Arenado to be playing in a bigger market. That is exactly what 
he needs, and it's exactly what baseball needs to be getting more exposure to guys like him. Yeah, and you've got a, something that should be viewed as a, a big deal as well. Yeah, I'm happy I get to end off on this one because my number is about Dustin Pedroia. Uh, he retired, I think it was two days ago, uh, as we're recording on Tuesday, but may- maybe it was Monday. But he retired this week. He spent all 14 of his seasons with the Boston Red Sox, the biggest hole in the Red Sox club right now is second base and I truly don't think that hole can ever be filled by someone as great as Pedroia and what he meant to Boston on the field and and even more importantly off the field so the number that I want to highlight is 51 because the Red Sox played 51 postseason games from 2007 to 2017 and Pedroia played in every single one of them Wow. And he's now one of three second basemen to start 50 straight playoff games. And one of those three is somebody who probably used to be your guy, Robinson Cano. Oh, yeah, my favorite Met. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, no one like Robbie Cano. But when he was in, I mean, to have in, to have Pedroia and Cano in that conversation when they were both in their prime yes. before all of the, the shit, basically, that happened with Cano. But what Pedroia, I mean, the, the numbers speak for themselves. He's not getting into the Hall of Fame because of his numbers, but I think his number should be retired. At Fenway totally Park, agree. it was unfortunate. I've gone back and forth about this a lot, and I don't know if you have an opinion on it, but he hasn't played since 2019 because of a knee injury. And a lot of people think, and I think this, that he stuck around a lot longer than was maybe realistic. And I mm-hmm. do not think that he didn't deserve the money. I don't think it had anything to do with that. But if anything, it just shows the type of grit that he had to want to stick around, to try to get healthy. I think he played nine seasons uh, two years ago, back in in 2019. That was his last time, and then he didn't play at all in the shortened 2020 season. But, I mean, I could go through pages and pages of Pedroia's numbers, but what really mattered to me is that he was there day in and day out for the Red Sox. This was him and David Ortiz were the players that I grew up watching and I will never forget Dustin Pedroia's swing especially he's 5'9 he's one of the yeah. smaller guys just going out there three world series rings and he meant everything to the Red Sox and I will miss him greatly Boston will miss him greatly yeah, heart and soul of that Red Sox organization for 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 a decade um a, a very unfortunate that he's barely seen the field since 2017 but I agree with you that I think the the number fifteen will be retired uh, for him in in Boston, uh, and the the one thing that just honestly is disappointing about it is that he had to retire on just just a random winter day. That's what I, I mean. I I, I, almost, I I really feel like if he could do it again, it could just be on that last. Obviously, it wouldn't be the injury that he left on, but mm-hmm. he could just have one last game so that people would re- would remember him. That's exactly what I was. I wish yeah. he could have gotten the David Wright treatment. Um, and, and he and deserved being, it. Ugh. He did. He, yeah. he did. So that that's the one really crushing thing about this. But otherwise, you know, hats off to an incredible career. As I said Red Sox Hall of Famer for sure, and uh, one of the one of the best second basemen in baseball for a very long time. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because I wasn't surprised by the outpouring of support for Pedroia, but I'm just so happy that people didn't forget about him because he hadn't played in so long and because he didn't get that ceremony like. Right yeah. did and like Jeter did and, and all those type of like Ortiz did, but Pedroia meant 
a lot to this organization for a decade, like you said. And and you even had his jersey, Pat, as I a did. Mets fan. As a as a diehard Mets fan, I had his jersey uh, back when I went out to Fenway Park in 2007, 2008. Um, so, yeah, he was, listen, he was an awesome player. I always really loved his game. Um, and as I said, just a, an incredible baseball player for a very long time. And I don't think there's a way to put it more than the heart and soul of the Boston Red Sox. Yeah, I completely agree. So I wanted to give him some credit there because of how much he meant to Boston. But now, drumroll please, we are introducing hmm. a new segment. So we wanted to bring a little bit of a pop culture, a non-sports segment for some of our listeners out there. I think we're going to name it Best Of. Love that. And each week, we're going to bring a random category. Anything from today, we're going to do Ben and Jerry's flavors, to I'm literally just going off the top of my head, our favorite office episode, our favorite Doritos flavor, stuff like that. (laughs) So we'll pick a new one every week. But Pat, I'll start with you, and we'll start with this one for our our first debut of the Best Of segment. What is your favorite Ben and Jerry's flavor? Yeah, so I, I had to think long and hard about this one, but I did eventually <laughs> conclude on chocolate chip cookie dough. Um, oh, just that's that, so boring. I know it is. I know. Ben I, and Jerry's chocolate chip cookie dough? What What I will preface this with is that I don't eat a ton of ice cream. Okay. I am more of a chocolate chip cookies person. That okay. is the quickest way to my heart. Um, <laughs> but when I do, I go with the boring but fantastic chocolate chip cookie dough. Okay, that's fair. So that's no fair. surprise there that chocolate chip cookies are my favorite. Um, yeah, if cookie, it's going to be an ice cream Cookie dough is my favorite form. ice cream from them. <laughs> yeah, you got to go to ice cream form. So mine, I know, is a controversial pick. And I would also be totally fine if people wanted to reach out to me afterwards as they're talking about our show. <laughs> so my favorite Ben & Jerry's flavor is Cherry Garcia. Oh, it's good, though. I like yeah, it. Yeah, I love it. People say I'm a grandfather, literally a grandfather. I'm not sure where that came from, but I think it's really good. I think the cherries in it are fantastic. I like the the chocolate chips in it, the cherry ice cream, and that's the one that I'm sitting down and I could eat a whole thing of. I, I know my dad really likes right. it. I like it. It's Obviously, I love the, the Grateful Dead reference yeah. as well for it. It's um, No, I, I stand with you on that one. It's It's a good one. All right, good. I'm glad you feel the same way. I've gotten a lot of hate. <laughs> no, I'll be no, honest. No, no. I've gotten a lot of hate. I, I could never to Cherry Garcia. No. Yeah, and I'm I'm sticking with my thing. My second favorite, a close second though, is Chunky Monkey. That's the banana one. That's pretty good. Oh, too. I've never had that one. Yeah, it's pretty good. Nice. No, that's yeah. good. I, I I'm a when I do have ice cream, I really like coffee ice cream. I have <laughs> not had Ben and Jerry's coffee version of ice cream. I haven't either. But uh, I've seen it pop up, and would definitely like to give it a try. I bet it's pretty good. Anything's pretty good. I, I can't imagine yeah. it's bad if it's coming from Ben and Jerry's. <laughs> I feel the same way. I feel the same way. Cool. No, but this is just a little something that we're trying to bring. You know, show off a little more personality so you get to know us. Yeah. And we'd love to get to know you too. So let us know your favorite, you know, obviously your thoughts on the show, Super Bowl predictions and things like that. But also let us know your favorite Ben and Jerry's flavor because why not, right? We'd love to hear it. Yeah. yeah. And if no. you have any uh, suggestions for future best of, we'll try and get as creative as possible. Yeah, no, any suggestions would be uh, greatly appreciated. <laughs> so Definitely. no, that would be great. But all right, that will do it for us then here on our Super Bowl preview episode. As we said, cannot wait for that game 
on Sunday. Uh, Make sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes so that you never miss an episode. Give us a rating as well as it really helps us out and lets us know what you guys are thinking. Uh, Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Did You Hear Pod. Also, of course, be sure to look at all the different podcasts across the Blue Wire Hustle network of shows. So many different ones that you can check out with a bunch of different uh, angles on uh, either the Super Bowl, you've got NBA, you've got baseball, a ton of different aspects there. Um, So plenty to explore plenty to enjoy as we get ready for the big game on Sunday but Emma that's a wrap 